great to see you today. And uh, I am just so excited. If we haven't met before, my name is Rob Jacobson. I serve as the lead pastor at Restoration here. And I have a confession. I'm still stuffed from Thanksgiving. Now, I'm stuffed with food. Uh, actually, it was more of the green bean casserole and the gravy and the mashed potatoes and the turkey that did me. And it was, uh, and maybe the apple pie with the extra ice cream. That was what was filling for me this weekend. But I'm wondering what was filling for you this weekend. Because, you know, Thanksgiving weekend is usually filled with lots of stuff. Maybe it, maybe it was football for you, you know, watching uh, two or four or seven or 12 games, you know, depending on your, your flavor and your college football stations and your professional football. But, you know, there I've noticed the other thing could be because there's now pre-Black Friday sales, then Black Friday sales, and then post-Black Friday sales, and then Small Business Saturday sales. So if your weekend was filled with shopping, I mean, it would be kind of hard not to have it happen with the amount of, you know, messages we got, but that's for later in the the morning. Um, It could have been filled with family vacations. You know, some people take the time to go away for this time. So if you're visiting with us, great to see you. And, and finally, uh, this might have been true in our home, uh, when, when there's extra time off and it's not filled with food or football or shopping, uh, we have extra time to love each other. So there's a lot of family fighting that might be filled with, you know, Thanksgiving. But what if I asked, uh, if your weekend was filled with worship, like, when did you worship Thanksgiving weekend? Now, potentially you're thinking, uh, if you are someone who regularly attends worship services, that you might be thinking, well, uh, right now. Actually, it was a few minutes ago when we were singing, not so much right now, but, you know, sometimes I just call it singing because then it's less confusing. And that would be somewhat true. And if you're someone who may not come to church very often, then you might be thinking, well... I don't really worship, at least I don't think so, because uh, I don't go to church very often. So this weekend, and really it starts this series where we ask these questions that of what is worship, and why do we worship, and how do we worship, and when do we worship, and ultimately, who do we worship? And, and I'm really excited for it because of any of the topics as, as a pastor that have been challenging for me, worship and, and really the true definition of worship, the, the comprehensive definition of worship has been so hard for me to understand. And so if we look at this and we really think about what it means, I, I believe, I believe Our lives will be filled with what worship is supposed to do for us, which is fill us with this gratitude and this hope and this peace and this love and this praise. And and it could absolutely, absolutely transform our lives. No matter what we're facing. Now think about that, because I don't want to pretend to stand up here and be like, it's all going to be great. Because maybe some of you are facing big challenges. Some of you might be facing big challenges and, and huge things at work. You're, you're being asked to do a project that 
that goes way beyond your level of expertise or way beyond your level of comprehension. And you, you're like, I'm just going to be, it's, as soon as that comes out, I'm toast. Some of you could be facing a medical situation where you are just at, at odds end. You're at the end of your rope wondering if, if this is really going to come out okay and are these doctors really knowing what they're doing and is my insurance going to cover this? And, and, and you're not quite sure that everything's going to be okay. In fact, when I say words like gratitude and joy and, and hope and peace, you can't hear those words. Too much of fear or worry or anxiety fills you. And, and that's exactly where my encouragement to you is to tune in when you would tune out. We're going to read a section of scripture that is very easy to tune out. But it's actually when we tune into it that we discover what true worship is and how our lives can be filled with this gratitude, this peace, this hope, and this praise. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, if you're going to follow along in your, in your Bible. And we're going to start the series by building a practical and biblical definition of true worship. Now, worship has happened throughout the centuries since the creation of time. If you were to go back and look at the ruins of Assyria, you would find little scripture, little pictures of people with their hands up and, and, and stars painted on cave walls. If you were to go into Egypt, you would see the sun and you would see intricate paintings and, and detail of people worshiping. And, and worship really generally just means to put value or worth into someone or something. To put value or worth into someone or something. That's the general definition of worship. But the true definition of worship would, would be two parts, I think. The first it would be is seeing God's reverence. True worship is seeing God's reverence. Now, in Christmas, you might have heard of this lady named Mary, or maybe she's known as the Virgin Mary, or Mary the mother of Jesus, or Mary Joseph's wife. This Mary is the one, no matter what you call her, she really understood what true worship is. And the reason I think so is because when Mary receives this revelation from God, this message from God that, that she is going to become pregnant with a baby by the Holy Spirit of God, which, by the way, had never happened before, not only that, but this baby boy would be known as the Son of God, which no one had ever been known by before. She doesn't respond with a song of, oh me, oh my, what am I going to do? She doesn't respond with a freak out. She doesn't respond with fear. She responds with a song of praise. And it's in Luke chapter 1. Mary says, after hearing this revelation, My soul glorifies the Lord. My, so my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. 
He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. See, I think as much as we want to hear the word of God in our lives, it's really, really easy to tune out something like that. I think our instinct is to turn it off and tune it out because, because we often tend to think that people who really, really believe in Jesus, who are real, real worshipers, they just kind of seem out of touch with a reality and real circumstances. They seem to be people who, who either, if they have their head in the Bible or their head in the clouds, it kind of looks one and the same. Because they come across as people who are like, oh, it's, it's going to be all okay. Uh, no, no, really. Your, 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 your husband just like dislocated his knee and, and, and not only dislocated it, but kind of crushed it playing basketball at 42. And he probably shouldn't have gone up to try and slam dunk it. I don't think he's going to be okay. No, no, no. We prayed. He's going to be fine. They seem a little out of touch. And we want to be people that face reality. And so when we hear a song like this, we immediately put it in a different category than those who face reality. But see, that's where I think we need to tune in harder. If we really look at the words of this song, we will see that Mary stopped to face reality. Mary stopped to see God's reverence, to see what his, he was worth. Reverence means to be in awe of or to look at and understand and recognize the power and authority of someone or something. And Mary stopped to see God's value. It is so hard in our day and age to stop, to see where God is, to see who God is, and to see what God is doing. I mean, before we used to have to search and search and search for information. Now information comes at us at alarming rates, and we have to learn how to evaluate information and how to take this or, and disregard that and figure out its worth rather quickly, and it's very hard for us to stop. But Mary stops. We see it earlier starting in verse 26 of this chapter, we see an angel who comes to Mary. And this angel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it says that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. But the angel said to her, Mary, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. Now, I overheard a couple of 30-something women talking one day. I don't do this a lot, but I just happened to overhear two 30-something women, you know, talking one day. And one of them turned to the other and says, I'm a hot mess. And as she said this, she starts to tell about the extraordinary challenges that she's facing in her life and the things that are going on. And not only that, how she's kind of going back and forth and up and down and over and over about what to do about this situation. And... And I think that that's a really good 2014 translation of the text. When it says that Mary was troubled greatly and wondered. 
It means to be agitated internally, but then to ponder over and over as well. So Mary was a hot mess because of these things that she was facing. She's a hot mess because God doesn't send messages to young women. He sends messages to priests in the temple where God's spirit is supposed to be. According to them, that's what they would know. That was the convention of the day. In fact, earlier in the chapter, we see a priest who happens to be a relative of Mary, Zechariah. He receives a message in the temple. Well, people would expect that. People don't expect messages to come to poor young women. Not only that, they don't expect messages from God to come to poor young women of low status. Especially poor young women of low status from the hill country instead of the city of Jerusalem. Not only that, they don't expect messages to come to poor young women of low status from the hill country and not the city when they're dealing with the ancient promises of the three most important ancestors of the religious people known as the Jews. Abraham, Moses, and David. And yet, that's the message that she gets. See, I would say that that Mary has to wrestle with God's message to her and the culture of her day, just like we have to wrestle with God's messages to us and the culture of our day. This is not an easy thing for her. When Mary's told she's going to become pregnant, but the child is going to have this ability and this plan, actually God's plan, to restore all of humanity back into relationship with God, she has to decide, how much do I believe that? Versus, what is the culture of my day? See, the world that Mary lived in would have certainly had expectations for when Mary should get married, for when Mary should have children, and this didn't fit into the conventional wisdom. She would have to realize that, that even the people that loved her the most, that even the people that supported her the most, would have a very, very hard time accepting this news. To see God's reverence is to see what that's worth. The cultural expectations, other people's opinions, versus God's message to her. And God's message to her is that she'll conceive, it says in the next verses. She'll conceive and give birth to a son who she is to call Jesus. Jesus is also, in the, in the Jewish language, it would have been Joshua, it would have been this one who saves. So, so Jesus, the one who saves, and he will not just save, he will be great, and he will be called the son of the Most High God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. When Mary asks how this will be, she doesn't ask as someone who is not believing. She simply asks, well, I don't understand. Not I don't believe. I don't understand. 
And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So this Holy One will be born. So the Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. He confirms this, actually even confirms this with a sign about her relative. And she's got to weigh this with this. The cultural expectations of her day, the other people's opinions, what she even thinks about this, and will God do this? Can God do this? How will God do this? And, and what about this message? How much weight do I give this message? Now, she could continue to be a hot mess by worrying about what people will say and wondering if God will do what he says he'll do. Or she can believe that God will do what he says he's going to do. And then she can wonder if people will accept that. Because there's always been people that have a hard time accepting what God is doing. One will more easily fill her with peace than the other, I believe. But it depends on if you can see God's reverence. To see God's reverence, it's really about knowing and recognizing the power and the authority in the person or the thing or the object or the country. See, I always thought it would be really great to get my private pilot's license because I, would, I just wanted to fly. Um, and I had a few pilot friends, though, that said they would never, ever, ever fly with me if I just got my private pilot license. Now, all of my private pilot license, or my flying friends are like, mm-hmm, yeah, but there's other reasons why, too. And so, well, just stay with me. So I finally asked them why they wouldn't fly with me. And they said, well, you're only getting your private pilot's license, which means that you have to have visually correct conditions to fly. And I'm like, well, I've, I've good eyes. You know, I had surgery on them, so they're, they're, they're 2020. And they said, there's always going to be a time when you're going to fly and you're not going to have your instrument flight rating, your IFR or whatever, and, and, and you're going to think that everything's okay, that it's perfectly clear outside, and you're going to take that plane out, and then you're going to get just high enough where there's this little haze and then you go, oh, oh, Hayes, I remember from my training that I'm supposed to find a reference point. I'm supposed to find where the horizon is because, I mean, I've heard that sometimes people get disoriented in the sky. That won't happen to me, though. I'll just find my focal points. And you look out and you see the horizon, but now in the haze, you can't really tell where it is. So then you look the other way and you all of a sudden see the clouds and they're sort of slanted. So then you think that way is level, but it's not. And your eyes are playing tricks on you. And if you don't know how to read your instruments or worse, you can't, you don't believe in your instruments. It's not going to end well. In fact, 84% of people who go into those situations, it ends in a fatality. That's why I won't fly with you. (laughs) Okay. I just got to convince my wife that not only do I need my private license, I need my instrument license too. (laughs) Just heard about that, didn't you? (laughs) If you're flying, reverence means that you believe in the instruments that are in front of you. When you can't see the horizon, when your body's telling you one thing, the instruments are able to tell you what is actually happening. If you're hearing from God, reverence means trusting that God will do 
what he says he'll do. Now, how is Mary able to see God's reverence? I think in this song, we see that she knows God and she knows God's power. She knows God because she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Holy is his name. This isn't a God that she's not unaware of. This is a God she's heard about from her parents that she's, that she's listened to in song and in story. This is a God that she's probably interacted with in prayer, even if God has been quieter on his side. She knows this God. But she also knows his power. He's not a God who says one thing and can't fulfill it. He's not a God who says one thing and does another. He's a God who over and over and over has come through for his people. In fact, she says this. She says that that the mighty one has done great things for me. The mighty one has performed acts of strength. He's scattered the proud. He's brought down rulers, and he sends the rich away empty. The powerful and proud people of the world, they think they can accomplish things, but God always accomplishes things. And, she, and, and the angel, when talking to Mary about it, says, after giving her this promise, he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, who's very old, who was never able to have kids, who everyone said they weren't going to be able to have kids, even she is going to have a child. And the scripture then says, the angel then says, for no word from God will ever fail for no word from God, not just a word, but any saying of God will accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. In essence, it's saying that God can do anything. I don't know about you, but that's pretty hard for me. I mean, I I should stand up here and say, like, yep, yep, we praise God. He can do anything, right? But do we really, really believe that? See, this is the God who spoke and the world was created. This is a God who told uh, an ancient ancestor, Abraham, when he was 99 years old, that he was going to have a kid next year, and, and that happened. This is a God who told Moses that he was going to use him to lead a people that had been slaves for 400 years out of the most powerful nation in the world, and he does. This is a God who can do anything. So like my pilot example, it doesn't do much good to believe that the instruments are good and to believe that the instruments are powerful if we don't actually respond to what they're saying. See, that's the second part of what it means to have and do true worship. It's if we can see God's goodness and his power and his reverence it must evoke some kind of response from us. And true worship isn't just seeing God's reverence. True worship is seeing God's reverence and responding to his revelation with all that we are. His revelation meaning his messages, what he's revealed to us. It's being able to respond to that. Some people do this, we do this all the time, like thousands of people went out and shopped pre-Black Friday or post-Black Friday or pre-pre-Black Friday and Small Business Saturday. They went out because these messages known as Black Friday ads, you know, they put something of value in front of us and we went, ooh, 
I can get a drill that's normally $109 for $88 if I wake up at 4 in the morning and get to the store by 5. Or the guy I saw in the news that was like camped out in front of Best Buy five days before it opened because he didn't have to work. And I'm like, he put a lot of value in that opportunity and responded. I'll, I'll give him props for being a good case study. But that's what the ads are designed to do, to evoke a response from us. In fact, if you, don't, if you go past the print ads and you go to the visual ads, they might add humor or they might add wit or they might add you know, some visually appealing thing, something to engage not just part of us, but all of us, our mind and our body and our spirit. That's what true worship is. It's to respond to God's revelation with our mind and our body and our spirit. All of us. So, so it's not just seeing God's goodness and his greatness. That's what helps us to revere him. Seeing his goodness and his great power. But God's past faithfulness, God's proven track record, if you will, the fact that God always keeps his promises, that's the reason that we can respond to him with all that we are. Now, I've discovered, you know, because it's Christmas season, that there are three kinds of people around Christmas. First are the people that believe that, that you will just know them and understand what they like, and if you care about them, you'll buy them a gift that would match them, right? These are people who don't make lists, okay? Maybe you're one of those people. You're like, I don't make a list. I don't believe in Christmas lists. If you know me, then you should